We are starting a new sermon series, a mini-series of sorts, as we walk toward Christmas, unwrapping the unexpected. And my goal, my hope through this series is to help each one of us to prepare for Christmas, to focus on God's Word. I've really enjoyed the Reclaim series. I hope you did as well, looking at the Protestant Reformation um, but I have to tell you, I'm really excited to get back into just digging into Scripture. As much as I like that series, it was more of a topical series. Uh, and my preference is to just dig into Scripture and walk through a passage. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, hopefully. And if you really don't have a Bible in your home, feel free to take ours. Let that be our Christmas gift to you. Uh, Please don't take one every week, but you can take one. (laughs) But read it. Read it. Take it home and read it, especially the Christmas story in Luke chapters 1 and 2. Read through the Gospel of John. That's what we'll be looking at uh, starting in January as we start a series on the Gospel of John. But today we're talking about unwrapping the unexpected. I remember when I was a little kid, I I was probably five or six when this happened. I'm not really sure. But my dad had this old Toyota. I can't even tell you what model or what what type it was, but it was really old. I remember every year he would go through and scrape off the rust and patch it up with Bondo just to keep it going. It was that kind of a car. It was just falling apart. And it was a stick shift car. And so one day, out of the blue, I'm driving, or I'm I'm not driving, I'm riding with my dad, and he makes the comment, because he's trying to keep this car looking as nice as he can, keep it up, somehow out of the blue, he just made the comment that the pedals, the the rubber part of the pedals, were all worn smooth, and it was kind of hard for him, because they got slippery, and he thought, I I just, you know, it's tough that the pedals are all worn out, and something in my little five-year or six-year-old brain, as Christmas was coming up, thought, aha, I know what I can get dad for Christmas. I will get him new pedals for his Toyota. Now, this was long before the internet, right? So this is where my memory gets really fuzzy. I can't tell you how we found these things. I assume we went to an auto parts store. I assume my mom helped me. I don't remember all this part of it. But I remember very clearly Christmas morning. I was so excited. I was more excited about this gift than any gift I'd ever given to anybody because my dad had not asked for them for Christmas. And I think it was the one time in my life that I truly surprised my dad with a Christmas gift. Now, granted, this is not the most exciting Christmas gift in the middle, or or at all, and ever. So he opens these things on Sunday, or on Christmas mornings, and he pulls them out. You know, it's three chunks of rubber, right? That's what the petals are. They're they're just little things. And But his eyes just lit up, because he was not expecting it at all. And I remember what he said. He said, this is exactly what I needed. He said, you got me exactly what I needed. And that's what this series is about. That God, in so many different ways, in big and small ways in our day-to-day lives, God gives us unexpected things that are exactly what we need. But of course, the Christmas story is much bigger than just our day-to-day lives. This is about God in the flesh, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, coming to live among us, being born in that Savior. And he came in an unexpected way. He was a very unexpected Messiah. He did unexpected things, especially including 
his death and his resurrection. And yet that unexpected thing of the baby in that manger was exactly what we needed. And so I hope this Christmas season, as we do all Christmas seasons and and hopefully all the time, uh, that we are unwrapping this truth and applying it to our lives. Now, I also want to say, just a little point of order at the outset, we'll have a little bit of an interruption in the series. Next week, Jim Harden from Compass Care Ministries will be here. He'll be sharing, opening God's Word, looking at uh, the sanctity of life and, and specifically how it applies or comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm excited about that. And his associate director, Daniel Tomlinson, will be sharing in adult Sunday school uh, next week as well, which will be in here also. So I'm excited about that. So we'll take a break from the series and come back uh, and finish up the next couple weeks of that. But today we're in Luke chapter 1, and my goal today is to look at the story of Zechariah. Luke starts his Christmas story, starts his gospel, with two particular people, Zechariah and Mary. And these two people are chosen because they're important in the Christmas story, but also because very similar things happen to them. An angel appears to both of them. This angel appears, the same angel, Gabriel, and gives them shocking news about a baby who will be born. For Zechariah, it's his son, John the Baptist. For Mary, of course, it's the son of God, Jesus Christ. The other thing that's interesting is how they respond. Zechariah responds one way, and we'll look at that. Mary responds another, and we'll look at her response in two weeks. So we're going to look at the story of Zechariah this morning. And I'm going to be reading the entirety of this text. We'll read it in portions so you don't get lost and kind of picking through it as we go. But let's look at the story of Zechariah. The announcement that comes to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 is incredibly unexpected. It's out of the blue. It doesn't make sense as God's movement often doesn't make sense to us at first. And yet, let's look at what happens. Let's start with the announcement in verses 5 through 25. First of all, look at 5 through 7. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're told some very important things about them as a couple and him as an individual. Zechariah is a priest. His whole life is devoted to serving in the temple, the very dwelling place of God among his people. We hear that Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous. They truly trusted in the Lord. They followed the law according to the Old Testament. They lived a righteous life. They were expecting the coming of the Messiah. We also learn that they're both very old and they've had no children. Now this is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. People that are past childbearing years and yet God chooses miraculously to bring a child into their life. Now I want to be careful with this. This doesn't mean that that if you know, someone's having trouble getting pregnant, that that is a promise that God's going to give you a child. This means that when God works, he does so in such a way that people look at it and say, we didn't do that, God did that. God works in such a way that God gets the glory. 
He has a history of working that way. He did it with Abraham. did it with Isaac. He does it with so many others. And the setting here in verses 8 through 10, let's look at this. Once when Zechariah, Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. The priests would serve for a period of time, a week, maybe two weeks. They'd be on and then they'd be off and have a break at home. So Zechariah is on duty. He is in the temple serving. This would have been the ongoing sacrifices that would go on throughout the day in the courtyard. Some duties in the temple itself. And and just to refresh your memory, the temple is divided into two main rooms. There's the outer room and the inner room. In the outer room, the priests would go in occasionally throughout the day. Rarely, but occasionally. They would be putting bread out as a symbol of the ongoing communion, which we'll be celebrating in a bit. But their ongoing communion, communion with God, their creator and savior. There was a lampstand. They would go in and light and trim the wicks to keep that lamp Uh, lit and going, which is something similar to what we're celebrating here with the Advent. And then there was a small altar of incense. It it wasn't very large. It was kind of a risen small table, and you would put coals on it and then drop incense on it to fill the room with a fragrant smell. And it was a, a symbol of the prayers of the people. And twice a day, the priest would go in and offer this incense. And when they did it, the the tabernacle or the temple, in this case, was cleared out. And it was a huge privilege. There were about 18,000 priests in uh, Israel at this time. And they would serve, not all at the same time, of course. They would serve in groups. And so we're told it's Zachariah's group's turn. And when it came time to offer the incense, they would cast lots, which is similar to rolling dice. But it was a way of discerning God's will. Who should go in and do this? And they believed, as God commanded in the Old Testament, he would direct that choice. So God chose Zechariah to go in. Now understand, although they did many of these duties all the time, it was probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah to be in the temple at this moment offering the incense on the altar. That's how rare it was. It was a very special opportunity for a priest. Now again, going back to the temple, they would go into this outermost room regularly. But the innermost room was known as the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, with the cherubim, with their, their wings overshadowing the Ark. And there over the Ark was where God made known His presence among His people. And nobody was allowed to go in there except once a year and only the high priest, only on the Day of Atonement, bringing in the sacrifice for the sins of the people. So when it comes time to offer the incense in the morning and the evening, the symbolism here is so crucial because the altar of incense was just outside the curtain into the Holy of Holies. In fact, in some places, it's so close that it's referred to as part of the Holy Holies. It was connected with God's presence and the prayers of the people going up in the presence of the Lord. So here's Zechariah entering as close as he was allowed to the presence of the Almighty God. And he's doing his task of offering up this incense. And then, let's look at what happens. Verses 11 through 17. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, 
and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, a people prepared for the Lord. Now now understand, again, we need to put ourselves in the mind of Zechariah here. He's doing a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He's right, and he sees the curtain. He knows on the other side of the curtain is the Shekinah glory, the burning glory of the Lord God Almighty. And he is as close as he is allowed to get by the holy law of the Lord God Almighty. He's right there. And he's offering up this sacrifice this incense on the altar. And the temple has been cleared out. The people are outside as they would have been waiting for him to come out. This is a holy moment. And then in Now sometimes I think in our modern worship, we kind of overemphasize our buddy-buddy relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that's good. We should be friends with Jesus. We should be to Jesus. But we need to not lose sight of the fact that whenever an angelic being or the Lord God himself in some way, shape, or form appears, people are terrified. This isn't, hey God, what's up? Check out what I'm doing. This is awesome. And sometimes I feel like, and I think we do a good job here, but, but sometimes in modern worship songs, I feel like there's just a very low-key attitude to the presence of the Lord God Almighty. Zechariah is terrified here. And the angel says, your prayers have been answered. What prayers? What prayer is it talking about? Does it say that Zechariah was praying as he offered the incense? It doesn't actually say. There's nothing specific. Now, some have said, well, he, he took this opportunity to pray for a child. That's possible. But the text seems to indicate that Zechariah and his wife had come to grips with the fact that they were not going to have a child. Maybe he took this opportunity to pray just in case. I don't know. But I do know this, based on the little bit we know about Zechariah. I guarantee you he had been praying for years. Ever since it seemed like Elizabeth wouldn't have a child, they prayed and they prayed. How many years went by praying for a child? Five? Ten? Fifteen? Twenty? How long had they been praying with no answer? And then here he is representing the nation of Israel and yet the angel comes and says, Zechariah, your prayer is being answered today. What a powerful and holy moment in the life of Elijah. And the angel says that he will have a son, a special son. We see this in verse 15, never to take wine or other fermented drink. Now, I don't want to get into the rightness or wrongness of alcohol. That's not what this passage is about. What this passage is about is whenever God specifically calls, especially a prophet in this case, we'll look at that in a second, and says they are to be set apart in a special way, they give some signs, some indications that this person has a special job to do for Lord God Almighty. And that's what this is talking about. 
John's clothes would be different. His his diet would be different. His ability to drink alcohol would be different as well. Now, some will take this to say, hey, see, this means as Christians we shouldn't drink because this is God's most you know obvious, highest standard for us. That brings a real big problem when we get to Jesus. So just be careful with that one. If you, if you choose not to drink, that's good. I don't tend to drink alcohol, but I'm just saying be careful because you don't want to make Jesus look like a sinner. That gets you in trouble. All right. But I digress. Another interesting thing is it says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is born. And again, this is hard for us to understand, but in their idea, in the tradition of the Old Testament, the way that God had worked previously, God would come on someone and bring his presence, his holy purpose, and usually for a time. Prophets were not born with the Holy Spirit. That was unheard of. When it was time for God to reach out to a prophet and say, hey, I've got a message for you. I've got a a job for you to do. He would put his Holy Spirit in the prophet. When David was lifted up as king, God sent his Holy Spirit upon David. He wasn't born with the Holy Spirit. This is completely out of the norm. And the angel is letting Zechariah know, and all of us, God is about to do something amazing. Now, in case you're not familiar with the story, I feel like I should explain this. We're not talking about Jesus here. Elizabeth's son is not Jesus, right? That's Mary. We'll get to her later. This is John the Baptist. And his job, verse 16, is to bring the people back to the Lord. Verse 17, he's going to go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, what many consider to be the most powerful, most influential prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah. And to go on before the Lord is to announce the coming of the king. It's the herald that walks into the room before the king enters and says, Hey guys, listen up. The king's about to walk in. Let me announce to you the king. John the Baptist had a profound role. It was to announce that the Messiah was coming. And then it says to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. This is a very general statement, just meaning things are going to be set right. Do you ever have a feeling like things just aren't right? That our world is broken? That our own hearts, our own relationships are broken? Sometimes our relationships between the parents and the children are broken? Our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes are broken. Our relationship with people in this world, they're broken. Do you ever feel that way? Jesus came for many reasons. But one amazing aspect of the coming of the Messiah is that things are being made right. The way God intended them to be. To make a people ready to be prepared for the Lord. For Jesus, who was to be born. Response in verses 18 to 25. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. 
When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Zechariah has a question. I think we would have questions. I'm pretty old here. Pretty sure Paige can't have kids at this point. God, how's this going to work? Later, we'll look at Mary's response in two weeks. And she also has a question. My Lord, how can this be? People have questions throughout Scripture when God comes to them. It's not always bad to ask questions, but there is something wrong with Zachariah's question. You see, he's not saying, okay, God, I trust you. How's this going to work out? Zachariah is saying, eh, you got to prove it to me. And you might be saying, well, you're reading too much into the text. Well, if that's the case, then so was Gabriel. Because Gabriel says to him, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words. Mary, as we'll look at in two weeks, has a response of faith. She has a question that comes from faith. Zachariah's question comes from disbelief. He's struggling to understand. And I can, I can appreciate that. I would guess that I would have some questions too and probably a lot of doubt. But he's asking for proof. <laughs> I love what the angel says. If, if I were a New Testament scholar, I think I would have put a phrase in here uh, to help render the sense that I think is going on in this passage. I would have put the angel said to him, are you kidding me? Now, now understand, he's, he's in the temple as close as he can get to the presence of the Lord God Almighty, and an angel has just appeared to him. And he's asking, what proof are you going to give? Dude, there's an angel standing there. What proof do you need here? And listen to what the angel says. I am Gabriel. I bet a shiver just went down Zachariah's spine. Angels appear occasionally, not often. It's rare, but throughout the Bible. Only three of them have names, and this is one of them. And Zechariah would have been very familiar with the name of Gabriel. He appears in the book of Daniel. And so he's coming to say, hey, hey, Zechariah, you know all that Old Testament study that you've done? You know all the prophecies of God and, and these people that appeared to Daniel? Remember that guy? That was me. And I'm talking to you now. You want proof? I'm Gabriel. That's not enough. He says, you know, Zechariah, this curtain here and what's on the other side of the curtain that you're not even allowed to go into because it's the very presence of God. Yeah, that's just a symbol of God's presence among your people. God exists for eternity in heaven on high. Guess where I stand? Right there. I stand in the presence. You want to know why I'm here? Because God sent me. You want proof? I am Gabriel who stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. But then he says, okay, here's your proof. You've just been told the greatest news of your life. The miracle that you who could not have a child is going to have a child. And you will not be able to tell anybody. Because you won't be able to speak. And for the next probably nine to ten months, Zechariah cannot utter a word. His voice is taken away from him. When he comes out, the people know that something has happened. He's been in there way too long. It doesn't take that long to offer up the, the incense on the altar. 
And he comes out and he can't talk at all. He's, he's gesturing, he's trying to tell them what happened and nobody understands anything. He goes home. Elizabeth gets pregnant. And look at verse 25. This is an interesting look into the beauty of this story. This is what Elizabeth says in verse 25. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Is God doing this for Elizabeth? It would be easy at this point to say, oh, this woman just makes it all about herself. Here's God bringing the Messiah to all the people and she's just worried about herself. Here's the beauty of how God works. Is God doing this for Elizabeth? Yes. Because as God works out His cosmic, eternal plan to bring His Son to be our Lord and Savior, guess who's getting blessed here? Elizabeth. Because that's how God works. So she's not wrong. The Lord is doing this for her, but much more than just her. And so I just want to pause here and ask, do we trust that God is at work around us? Do we trust that His ways are ways that we don't expect? Do we watch for them? Now the text here breaks and and goes into the story of Mary, and we're going to skip over that, but the angel Gabriel also goes to Mary. Mary then goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. By the time Mary gets there, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and Mary stays for about three months until the baby. it's time for the baby to be born. Think of the confirmation for Elizabeth and Zechariah. They had this powerful experience, but now Mary comes and they have this incredible affirmation that yes, look at what God is doing. But we'll look at that when we look at Mary's story in a couple weeks. Now let's look at verses 57 to 66 and the trust that Zechariah shows here. 57 to 66, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. We come to the time of the naming of the child, which was Zachariah's right as the father. And yet he can't speak. He cannot pronounce the name of his baby boy. And so they look to Elizabeth. Now, we can tell at some point Zechariah had told, probably through writing, Elizabeth what had happened. Otherwise, how did Elizabeth know to name the boy John? So I assume that Elizabeth is in all, on all of this by this time. It almost seems like in verse 61 that people try to change Elizabeth's mind. And then they go back to the father and say, you've got to confirm this. And so he writes down, his name is John. This was much more than naming a baby. This was Zachariah saying, I believe what God is doing. And I'm giving him the name that the angel said to give him. 
And immediately he is able to speak. And the floodgates open. And it's like all this pent up glory and worship of the Lord that's been waiting in his heart for nine months or more floods out. And we're going to look at the song that he sings in a moment. But look at the effect in verses 65 to 66. The word spreads. People hear about this. They know that there's something special going on here. Something special about this child, John. God is doing something important. You see God getting the glory there? God gets the glory because God works in only a way that God can. God's work in our lives is part of God's work in the lives of others. It's why we need to talk about what God is doing in our lives. It's why we need to share those things. Heaven forbid we choose to be like Zechariah and not talk. He didn't have a choice. We do. Let's talk about what God is doing. Talk this Christmas season about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Share that news. Don't be obnoxious, but share the good news of Christmas with others. Say, hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And now let's look at his response, this beautiful song in verses 67 to 80. Let's start with verses 68 to 75. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. What in the world is Zechariah talking about? Remember the story, right? An angel comes and says, Zechariah, you're about to have a baby. And then he bursts into this song that the Messiah has come. Because Zechariah understood that they went together. Notice that Zechariah's first response in giving glory to the Lord was actually not even about his own son. As great as that was, Zechariah understood God is doing something bigger. He's sending the long-awaited Messiah. And so he bursts into this song that is filled with Old Testament prophecies and trusting in who God is and what he has done. The Messiah is coming. And all the promises of the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled through this coming Messiah. They will be rescued from their enemies. Things will be set right. But even in that, they'll be set right in a way that Elizabeth and Zechariah and so many others did not anticipate. Because it says in verse 74, rescue us from the hand of our enemies? Absolutely. But how? To enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. The Messiah conquers by saving us from our sins. And think about what that must have meant to Zechariah. To enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Every day, Zechariah had to wonder, is my service okay? Every day when he entered the temple, he had to wonder, am I doing this right? Every day when he offered a sacrifice on the altar, did I do that right? Is this acceptable to the Lord? 
And here he's getting confirmation from the Lord. One day, all of that idea of, is this good enough? All of it will be gone because we will stand in the holiness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked about that in the Reclaim series. Jesus has done it all. We don't have to wonder if what we do is enough. We get to know that what Christ did is always enough. And then he goes into praising the Lord for his own child, verses 76 through 80. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. What a beautiful picture of God's blessing to this faithful old couple. Hearing their prayers for decades, answering in a way that was completely unexpected. But unexpected does not mean unprepared. They lived a righteous life. They focused on who God is and trusting Him each and every day. Zechariah was faithful in his service to the Lord. He was, by all accounts, a good priest. You and I don't serve in some holy temple, but we serve in our day-to-day lives. Would we be ready if God showed up and said, hey, got a job for you? Also, Zechariah knew Scripture. He knew the ways of God. He knew the significance of this moment when the Lord showed up to give him this message. Friends, as we think about Christmas, we need to expect that God is always at work. We need to have faith and the eyes to see through faith that work that he is doing. And we also need to understand that the ways that God works, like a baby in a manger, are usually very unexpected. Will we trust that the way God works is best? Because the Savior that came was unexpected. And what he did was even more unexpected. And I hope that we can share that gospel, that unexpected gospel this Christmas season. We're going to celebrate that and remember that in a moment as we take communion. But Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, as I think of the gift of Jesus Christ, our Savior. This gift that was so unexpected. And Father, I think there are those that never even touch the gift, never even open the promise of Your grace and mercy through Jesus Christ because they just can't accept how unexpected it is. And like Zachariah and Elizabeth, we, we have our own dreams, we have our own wants, we have our own hurts and baggage. And you are sensitive to those things. You know what's going on. You answer prayers, but you answer them in your way. You answer them according to your eternal plans. And I pray that we would have faith. Sometimes struggling like Zachariah, sometimes not. So that when you show up, when you work in unexpected ways in our lives today, may we say, yes, use me, Father. And may we declare the story of what Jesus is and what he has done for us. 
our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.